Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 827 with Bobby Marcotte. Challenging because it was a lot of trying to teach old dogs new tricks where I was trying to make the business more profitable. I was trying to freshen it up and everyone around me was just complacent. And I, I, came, I came to a breaking point in my career where I needed something fresh. I needed something creative. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners you get three months absolutely free get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free now i know you know about plate iq but do you know about plate iq's new spend management feature okay let me tell you about it Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Restaurant owners know it could be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. 
What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, and I cannot wait to let you know what you can expect. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you of two of my affiliates that if you invested in these tools, you would be supporting Restaurant Unstoppable greatly. And honestly, I would be telling you about these two tools regardless of whether or not they're an affiliate because they're organically recommended on the show. And uh, I believe in these tools. I'm excited to share them with you. The first one is Bento Box. Bento Box is by far the most recommended website developer platform on the show. And so many of my past guests use this tool, but it's more than just a website. It's a, it's a revenue platform. It helps you build multiple channels into your business, multiple channels of revenue in your business. And it's, it's, for somebody who's not web savvy, who just wants to go in and make a few changes on the back end, and it's beautiful and it's constantly updating. You're paying a subscription to the service. So basically, as the world of the internet evolves, they're evolving along with it. So you don't have to think about what's going on the the internet. They're evolving with the world of internet business. So you just invest in this asset, you pay your monthly subscription, and that's just one thing you don't have to worry about. The second company I want to make sure you guys are aware of, my second affiliate uh, is Mies. Uh, Mies is like Evernote for chefs. It's not just a place for you to store your recipes, but it's also a tool for you to do costing. And it's also an e-learning platform because you can upload videos, step-by-step processes on how to execute all the recipes in your restaurant. So it's a way for people who aren't necessarily culinarily trained to get in and to, to use this tool to scale recipes and to also be shown how to cook things. It's, it's a really great platform and they're just getting started. That is getmes.com slash unstoppable and getbento.com slash unstoppable. These are great affiliate programs. Both of these affiliate programs pay me out monthly, a percentage of your subscription to these services goes to me. So if I can get you guys to uh, use my links to sign up for these two services, which I honestly would tell you about regardless of whether or not I was earning commission, it will help me so much. And this podcast needs your support. So if you're in the market for a new website or if you want to fine tune your back of house operations and do some e-learning platforms, do check out getbentobox.com slash unstoppable and getmes.com slash unstoppable. And be sure you email me eric at restaurantunstoppable.com when you use those links so I can be sure to follow up and just thank you so much in advance. Today, we're talking to Bobby Marcotte. Bobby is a repeat guest on the show. If you have not listened to his the first episode, I head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 421. I interview Bobby Marcotte and Barbie, Bobby uh, Boivid, Boivid, Boivid. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. Boivid. I'm sorry, second Bobby, if you're listening to this. Uh, they were a great episode, and I highly recommend you go back, you listen to that episode, and then you come back and hang out with us today. Uh, this is my second time getting Bobby Marcotte on the show. Bob, The two Bobbies have since split, and Bobby Marcotte is still going at it hard. And since we last spoke to him, so a little bit more about Bobby, um, he came up in the, the restaurant scene in New Hampshire. Uh, he started at the age of 13 as a dishwasher. He was, uh, I think, a sous chef by like the age of 17, and he was running restaurants by the age of 21. Uh, in his late 20s, early 30s, I believe he joined the Tuckaway Tavern in Raymond, New Hampshire, and they have been killing it. Like, I swear to God to you guys, on a Monday at 3 p.m., there will be an hour wait at this place, and I'm not exaggerating. He's a two-time uh, champion of the guy's grocery games, and he is also, since we last spoke to him, he has uh, opened two, I think one additional 
hop and grind. So they have, he's behind the Tuckway Tavern where he's the executive chef. He's a chef partner at the hop and grind restaurant. And they've since scaled to two locations. And I think there's a third on the way and they opened rise and grind, uh, which is a, a breakfast spot right around the corner from hop and grind. So he's doing a lot of great things. Uh, basically today we're picking up the conversation from where we left off the last time. Also, it's just a one-on-one conversation this time. So I was able to really pull back the layers on Bobby and get more intimate, more intimate than I was the first time around because I had to focus on the two Bobbies. So today we're going deeper with uh, Bobby Marcotte. We're picking the conversation up where we left off and the today's it's, a, it's an awesome conversation. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show for a second time, executive chef of the Tuckaway Tavern, uh, the executive chef and owner of Hop and Grind and Rise and Grind, and two-time, uh, what is it, B- oh, no, it was um, Guy's Grocery, what is the, the yeah. I don't watch much TV. Guy's Grocery Games <laughs> Champion, yeah. Two times, two congratulations. Times. Thank you. Chef Bobby Marcotte. Bobby, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always feeling unstoppable. Yes, dude. I cannot wait to pick up our conversation. So like I mentioned, this is our second time getting Bobby on the show. If you want to go listen to the first recording, that was episode 421. Head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash 421, and we will kind of pick up today where we left off yesterday. And I might pull back a few more layers because you were uh, being interviewed with your business partner before. So I had to divide my attention between the two of you. So I'm going to pull back some layers. I wish I was able to pull back on you the first time around, if you don't mind. Uh, And then we'll pick up where we left off. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sweet. Well, before we get into it, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, my mantra, you'll find it on any of my posts, is simply always grinding because that's uh, how grinding. we keep it rolling. And what I love about that is that you work your mantra into your brand. Absolutely. Why yeah. is that so crucial? It honestly just naturally evolved over time. I mean, you know, we had uh, obviously I grind meat all day long. That's where, I, you know, that's my job. Uh, so turning that into hop and grind and then kind of evolving into this mindset of like, I'm. I'm always grinding. You yeah. know, people ask me why I'm always working. I'm like, I'm not. I'm always grinding. It's it's kind of it, it feels like that, like unapolo- unapologetic, like just ownership of who you are and like incorporating that. Like when you are just who you are, I feel like you don't you're not even aware of your brand kind of coming out and everything that you so do. True. Just there, yeah. right? It just naturally happened. Yeah. I love it, dude. Uh, so the last time we talked to you, um, we learned that you got into the industry. You're, I think, 14 years old. You're working with your dad. He brought you into washing dishes. And from there, you kind of climbed the ladder to, was it the sous chef or executive chef of that restaurant? Not that restaurant. But you went to another restaurant. Correct. So I lasted about two weeks dishwashing. Okay. The chef saw me constantly like looking at the next guy up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, salad guy called out one time, you know, a couple weeks in. So I already knew the station just by constantly being caught up on dishes and watching him. So I got kind of got thrown into it. Okay. Um, and you were 19, sorry, you were a th- 29 when you joined forces with Tuckaway Tavern back yes. in 2014, right? Correct. So was the majority of your career at this restaurant from the... The, the restaurant after working with your dad and before working with Tuckaway, or were there a few locations along the way? Uh, a few on the way. Okay. Um, actually, so that first restaurant we were just talking about uh, shut down. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, some rowdy owners that, you know, used it more of a hangout than a restaurant, but it was great while it lasted. Um, moved on to a breakfast joint that was attempting dinner at the time and decided they weren't going to do dinner, so that closed. Okay. Uh, from there, I went to another Irish joint. Um, and 
kind of quickly evolved to sous chef there just out of pure necessity, I think, by the chef. Um, and kind of got thrown into a little bit of more responsibility and learning techniques and those kinds of things. Uh, spent a couple of years there and then that shut down. So I said, I looked at my girlfriend at the time, you know, we had my first daughter on the way and I said, if I, if this next job in the restaurant field does not work out, I'm changing careers. Yeah. And well, good uh, thing it worked out. Right? Yeah. So my next <laughs> position I held for 12 years and I eventually, you know, went on to become head chef okay. at 21 and those kinds of things. So. so I'm, I'm guessing that it was this role where you were at 12 for 12 years, right? That you probably grew the most as a professional. Is that Absolutely. Safe to say? Absolutely. So take us through what you think, how you, how you transformed during this time. Were there key mentors that kind of imprinted on you during this time? Anything like that? It's actually kind of funny. I think it was actually reverse of not having mentor, um, mentors in my life at the time. Um, kind of grew up without a dad. Uh, my father kind of bailed at a young age. So, you know, my mom was married, remarried and stuff like that. But when I had my first daughter, I was only 17. I was two weeks out of high school. And that's when I caught on to this position um, at this restaurant. And I was just doing you know, everything I could to be the best father I could. Mm. And in doing so, I turned my job into a career and I really wanted to buckle in and make something out of myself for my daughter. So So what's the difference between having a job and having a career? Yeah, that's, it kind of just clicked one day for me. It was like, am I just working a nine to five? Like, am I just punching a clock and coming home or am I really going to take something seriously and really take the ball and run with it? I think the difference is, is that, you know, you're buckled in and 100% committed, whereas a job, you know, you're kind of just going through the motions. And I think constantly trying to evolve yourself and to grow yourself yeah. is when you in, is when you recognize it as a career. I think a job is like right now and a career is I have a plan. I have a strategy. I, I'm treating this thing like I own it. Right. Because right? someday I might be able to own it. And I think that by I think it's, it's not the first time I've heard having a kid just kind of makes you show up differently when you when you're not just responsible for yourself, but when you're responsible for other people, it can help get you on that path of career i'm not saying go out there and, and get knocked up or knock somebody up to get more focused <laughs> yeah, at work no, but no, like no, it's definitely the there, yeah there's definitely a correlation right <laughs> i would definitely say so yeah yeah for sure um any i mean, i don't want to spend too much time here i do want to focus on more of the current stuff but any you said learn a lot of not what to do anything specific man I, that was such a crazy uh atmosphere you know it was a it was such a learning curve because um you know, I went through phases like I, the owners there were not restaurateurs. Okay. Uh, quite simply the, the, uh, husband was a lawyer and he bought his wife a birthday present, which was the restaurant. Okay. So they were kind of, they never had this mindset of like growing this empire or like, you know, making the restaurant more than one location. It was just about having a place where they could come with their friends and eat and be proud of serving kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I started just by trying to impress the owners, you know what I mean? And once I learned that they were just simply trying to do everything everyone else around them was doing, that's when I kind of had to look internally and say to myself, like, how am I going to grow if no one's pushing me to grow? And I, I realized I had to depend on myself for that growth. And that's when I started pushing myself with specials and pushing myself with menu development and trying to introduce new things to the owners that they definitely were not thinking of on their own. And uh, that was my biggest growth spurt, I think. Awesome. Um, 
I do want to talk a lot about what you got going on now, but I don't want to leave anything out from our first time around that you think might add value to the listeners. Is there anything that comes to mind before we move forward? I mean, I'm sure we'll hit, hit it if we if we get there along yeah, the way. Um, I, I'm, I'm anxious to get into Takaway because I feel like that this is the, the first restaurant you probably were a part of that put more emphasis on the systems, the training, the culture, but I also don't want to go out of line by saying that. Am I, am I wrong by saying that? I mean, this was a, this was another huge learn. I mean, we learned this together, me, myself and my now business partner Paul. Um, you know, we all I knew going into this project was I had applied here when it was its previous ownership, uh, simply because I loved the concept. It was a butcher shop. They had a restaurant attached to it. I just thought it was fresh. It wasn't something that was being done back then. It's, what was it's, the prior concept? It was so the previous owners had a very successful butcher shop, probably a two thousand square foot building across the street from here okay. uh, for thirty plus years. Very very successful, and they just decided one day they were they had some great entrepreneurial spirit spirit for sure. Um, so I think they wanted something bigger and to grow, and so they built this. <laughs> they went from that little footprint to a fifteen thousand square foot wow. building and tried opening a restaurant with no restaurant experience necessarily. Uh, so they had a similar idea, but never – it wasn't a steakhouse. It was more like a – just a – it was almost like a cracker barrel okay. attached to a store. You know what I mean? It had that country store on the – when you walk in, and then it kind of had this weird country diner feel when you went into the restaurant. So similar, but not exactly. When was this building built, do you know? Because you guys took over in 2014? Uh, no, we took it over in 12. Okay. Sorry, yeah, earlier when you mentioned 14. Uh, it, 2012, we took it over. I think they were here maybe two years. Okay. And uh, lost it, so. So I'm assuming Paul was the one that saw the opportunity or found the opportunity. So he has a silent partner um, who's a commercial real estate investor. He actually, his name's George. He picked up the building. Okay. And he immediately thought of Paul just okay. because he had he's known he had known him for you know multiple years. They worked on building projects together. But I think what George saw in Paul is that he was very entrepreneurial as well and had ideas and was very creative and always wanted to do something fresh and new. And uh, that's where George reached out to Paul. And I heard through the grapevine through one of my salesmen that this building had just been bought and. I said, do whatever you got to do to get my resume in front of those guys. Because when I heard there was another opportunity here, you know, I was stale at that point. I was 12 years into my other joint, um, you know, going back to that a little bit. It was v- challenging because it was a lot of trying to teach old dogs new tricks where yeah. I was trying to make the business more profitable. I was trying to freshen it up and everyone around me was just complacent. And I, I, came, I came to a breaking point in my career where... I needed something fresh. I needed something creative. So when I heard this was happening, it was the first time I was ever fully invested in jumping ship. I had always been hesitant because of my family and those kinds of things. But um, this all, this building just always drew me. Yeah. I don't know. Something about it. Almost like manifesting your destiny, right? Kind of, yeah. You wanted it. You saw it. You kept on showing up and eventually it listened to you, right? Yeah. So I applied to the previous ownership, like I was saying, and they didn't hire me because I was too expensive at 14 bucks an hour. Oh, man. And uh, so these guys, I, I got my, as soon as I heard it was up, I contacted my salesman. I said, please get my resume in front of these guys ASAP. 
I was their first interview and I was their first hire and they Wait, you contacted your sales rep? Yeah, so one of my distributors, he was like, Oh, I just heard that uh Yankee it was called Yankee Freetown at the time and we had known it had gone bankrupt and gone out of business and he said, I heard the Yankee building was just bought. I said, I don't care what you do, just please get me in front well, of Well, I think there's group. a lesson there, just doing whatever you can to get your resume in front of people. Like whatever 100%. whoever you know who's one point or one person removed, like use those connections, use that network. Absolutely. To get yourself in front of people. He smart. still he still says to this day, Remember who got you that? You know, he always <laughs> that's why he's still my salesman to this day. Uh, well he's gonna hold that leverage. <laughs> um, so one thing you mentioned during our first interview is that the Paul was very just kind of like I don't know he, I think he used the words um, we're not just going to build a joint we're going to build the best joint is what he said to 100%. you 100% right? um, what describe Paul as a leader and how he got you and all the other key members that were a part of the original opening team how did he excite you how did you guys how did he get you aligned take us through what that was like uh, number one thing that comes to mind is trust. Um, you know, I finally found an owner that trusted me to take ideas and run with them and not hold me back and not make me justify it and just full trust in me that I was going to make the right decisions for menu, for staff, for, you know, anything that came our way. We always just could look at each other and trust one another. You know, that went both ways. You know, I trusted him if he you know, maybe pulled back on something or if he had an idea that he thought would work. I mean, I just ran with that as well. It was it was just instant partnership with him. And I think that is the most important part of any partnership is having that trust. So he hired you to do a job and then he got out of the way and let you do the job. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I, it's hard to do that for some people. Why do you think that is? Control. I, you know, I... I think people get lost in what they want a business to be and what might necessarily make sense for a business. And, um, you know, some people can't get out of their own way in that aspect. I think, I think you need to know when, when to let go. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have a tough time with that. I think ego gets involved too sometimes. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he trusted you. What about getting you guys aligned? Because it it sounds like one of the reasons why this didn't work before, maybe there wasn't a, an al- I don't know. I don't want to talk about why it didn't work before. Let's talk about why it did work going on going forward. Once you guys got involved, how did he get you aligned? Like, what what was that that process of bringing you guys on? And was the sharing the there was there a vision involved? Like, just take us through that. Yeah, like I said, so I got my resume in front of these guys. They called me up. I came right over, um, and we walked around the building and just spitballing ideas as to what. You know, he wanted. I asked them what they wanted it to be. They asked me what I wanted it to be, and we kind of literally just took the day, walked around, walked what was here, what we thought didn't work before, what they they thought might have worked before, um, and really just spitballing ideas. And everything we were saying to each other just seemed to be same wavelength. You know, yeah. like that specifically is them wanting to be, you know, a real destination, making this into something really special, something some sort of a destination and uh, wanting to be the best. It, it was Paul, you know, Paul's mentality. And for me, that was important to me. I'm a comp- I'm like, I've always just had a competitive edge to me. Um, so I just love that. And I found it to be refreshing to have a challenge like that in front of me to make something into something special. Yeah. What were the first like early days? Like, was there a transformation? Did you guys, do, do you remember, there being kind of a transformation. We sat time? in this room that we're in right now. There was a long table in here with 20 chairs that existed, um, you know, from the previous owners. And we called this our war room. And it was every single day, seven days a week, we'd meet here, you know, early in the morning and we'd leave when the sun went down. And we just 
me and Paul just sat in this room, went going through every you know vendor, every uh, salesman, you know every anything and everything we had to do to get this place open. We did together in this room, and we didn't leave that day until all of our goals were accomplished for the day. How and, long did it take you to get to get it open once you were on board? Uh, once I was on board, we were open in six months. Okay, um, what about when you opened? What was your what was the life of Bobby Marcotte then? Oh, it was crazy. Um, it was it was honestly pretty chaotic. Um, we started with the butcher shop. We decided we were just going to open that uh, to get our staff, you know, get some footing Cash underneath room. us, uh, maybe garner some hype for the restaurant. We wanted to just open that because we knew the butcher shop worked across the street. Yeah. So my goal, you know, my hope in opening the butcher shop first was that I could kind of garner data from our consumers as to what's going to move out of that case and what people are looking for and then use that data to make a menu around what these people are looking what's for. Already selling. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that was the kind of the formula when we were opening is gather as much information as we can about our consumer and then let's give them everything that they want. Yeah. And, uh, not to like, I never like to speak poorly on anyone, but the, the previous concept, it sounds like what really hurt them is they went way too big, way too fast. And even you guys knew from re- like very early on is you knew you had to scale into it. Uh, you knew that this is how many square f- feet is this building? This is uh, 20, like just under 15,000 square Just feet. under 15,000 square feet. I mean, that's a lot of butts and seats. Yeah. Right? So when you open, if you open and you don't have those butts and seats, you're just burning through money. But if you slowly open, you get your people prepared. Like I think that was really smart on your part to like, kind of like slowly turn the nozzle into opening instead of just f- like flooding yeah, it made the most sense. Like yeah. I said, and you know, we now have 170 employees here. So can to imagine trying to open two sides of a building, all new staff, all new people, no knowledge of any material. You know, again, it just gave us that short period, short window of time that we could just strengthen our staff and and build up management and you know really give ourselves a solid foundation to start the tavern on and make sure that it's all melding together. Yeah, you know, to create one entity. Again, you know, at the same time as another and then try to get those entities to meld is a little tougher than building an entity and then kind of complementing it with another one. And that was kind of the the mentality. I love that. Um, So what was the evolution of your time here? Because I know now you have the two additional concepts and you have additional three locations in in total. Uh, So you're not here every day anymore like you were in those early days. What was that? process of removing yourself from behind the station to working on the business to now being able to leave the business and and go open other businesses what was that process like people building up people um trusting people it goes back to what we were saying about you know operators letting go uh you know me and paul again we were here every single day paul lived here literally lived here in the building for years uh to make sure it was running properly uh, creating culture, creating staff that that believes in us and trusts in us, and vice versa, um, and then just eventually starting to you know give more responsibility to certain individuals and letting go little by little. If we just let it all go at once, you know, how of course you, that could cause chaos. How but, do you track that? How do you keep that organized? Is it just is it as simple as putting names next to processes or like titles? No. Like how do you do that? It's being here. It's being here. It's being around your people, knowing who's strong in what, 
uh, who you can trust where. And, you know, I, I go back to aces and places. You know what I mean? I, it, there's really some value to that in knowing who can handle what responsibility and uh, kind of build, building off of that, I guess. So what's that relationship look like as you're offloading this responsibility and putting it on the, the table of others? Is there a weekly like dialogue? Or, like, Are there check-ins? How do you keep them honest? And how do you make sure the job is getting done right after you've delegated it? Lots of texting. Okay. Um, you know, we, I obviously check in every physical location, but of course I can't be everywhere at once. So we have manager threads, uh, open dialogue, anything going on, you know, is to be texted in these threads so we can all communicate on it. Um, but it's, again, that's always evolving as well. You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes it takes a full staff meeting. Sometimes it takes a in-person manager meeting. It, it depends on situations, you know? But for the most part, again, I, I, we've got great teams in place and uh, everyone kind of knows their marching orders and everyone executes constantly. So it's of course, you run into headaches here and there. But I think it's I think what's important is them knowing that we're here to support and yeah. they always know I'm a phone call away. They always know Paul's a phone call away. They know that we're here to support. And I think that's that's clutch. I don't think a lot of people have their owners right at their fingertips. You know what I mean? And I I think that's really important is that they know we're present and they know we're willing to work and get our hands just as dirty as theirs. And I, you know, I think that's where the trust comes in. As I love well. that. And I, I, I do agree that, I mean, there's no replacement for just presence. Uh, that's hard for some people. If Very depends hard. on what you're, what you're trying to do accomplish, I guess. I, I am curious if there were any like evolutionary moments for the growth of the talk away, as far as things that you guys started doing differently, that was able that enabled you to further remove yourself from the day to day. Like, were there new systems that were in place? Was there hiring of, of, of key personnel that was able to like take over certain things that you were primarily responsible for? What was that growth like? Slow, yeah, you know, slow and steady. I think it was it. T- it takes a lot of time, you know, to build to build. Not my trust in them, but their trust in me, and, you know, and, and showing showing up every day and grinding, you know, goes back to that mantra is, uh, you know, I think you lead by example. Yeah, that's important. What you just talked about, because you started about talking about trust and how you give trust. But what's really hard is how do you how do you reciprocate that trust? What's right. the process of reciprocating? How do you get them to trust you? Right. Uh, what is the secret to getting them to trust you? I think being real and being transparent and, uh, you know, we kind of wear our emotions on our sleeve. Uh, they know what we're thinking when we're thinking it. There's nothing to hide. Um, I, that's any dialogue needs open communication and, and honesty if you're going to build any trust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything we haven't talked about that you think is key as far as tuck away goes that we should bring to the conversation? Oh, there's so many, there's so many variables that bring success, but I think the number one success is people. Yeah. You know? Okay. One quick break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to kind of talk about how you were able to further remove yourself from the tuck away to start working on your own projects and where that all came from. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make 
on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. And I, I'm curious now what the dialogue was like, because you seem like a very driven person, a very passionate person. You obviously have a lot of like charisma and charm. You, you want to inject yourself into things like I can see that. Uh, when did you start having the, the vision for your own place? And how did that dialogue start to bubble up? Like, hey, Paul, like. When am I going to be able to break off? Or was it somebody else that you had to get the blessing from to be able to break off and focus on your own stuff? Or oh, no. They it? knew that was my goal. Okay. Yeah, I was very upfront with that in my first interview with them. With them Why know? is that so important to be upfront from the very beginning? Uh, just to know goals. And that's kind of how I touch base with staff, too. You know, I want to know where they want to be. You know, where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself in three years, five years? If you want to get to your own place, like I want to do for my staff what Paul did for me. You know, that's kind of my next. And what exactly was it that Paul did for you? Gave me the opportunity to yes. take a ball and run with it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so when you decided that we can move forward, what was going through your mind as far as the, the strategy? Like how what's that that process of you starting to open your own place where you had equity in it? It started with making sure Tuckaway was all set first, okay. you know what I mean? Yep. So uh, once we got to a point where we felt we were almost overstaffed, you know, we didn't want to just be ready. We wanted to be overly prepared and overly ready. And it was a lot of dialogue with my chefs beside me, you know. Um, are you guys ready to take the ball? Do you guys Are you interested in more responsibility? Um, and when I started hearing resounding yeses from front of the house, back of the house, that's when I knew it was time. Yeah. And, um you know, that's when we slowly started shopping properties. We really took our time. We didn't rush into anything. Um, and it just had to make sense. And uh, that location in Durham, you know, as soon as I stepped foot in that box, I just knew it was it just felt right. Yeah. And that's where people get in trouble with scaling, in my opinion. First, obviously, is cash flow, not having the cash flow to do it. But you guys had the cash flow. You were busy every day, lines, hour, two hour, even today on a Monday you know, you guys are still cranking. Eight years later, uh, there's a wait, a line out the door. Uh, so you had cash flow, uh, but people get in trouble when it comes to scaling without people. They think they can open a restaurant and just hire, but then you're usually pulling and cannibalizing your first restaurant, Correct. right? Correct. Uh, so I think that was really smart of you to know that you had to be bursting at the seams with people and over, you know, over hire too many people, more than enough people lined up in queue to, to move up the ranks, right? Correct. Uh, I didn't want just one leader ready behind me. I needed three leaders ready behind me because I wanted one that's going to come with me, come help run it. And I wanted two to their, you know, back, back here to support each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this time too, um, so was Bobby a part of the conversation at this point? No, no. Uh, me and Bobby met um, 
He was an equipment. He worked for his uh, wife's family's equipment business out Got in it. Chicago. Uh, his father happens to live here in town in Raymond, um, and he started selling us wine. And one day, one of our pieces of equipment went down, and he said, you know, my son sells equipment. Paul got to talking to him. He flew out. He looked at our concept, and me and him kind of clicked and became friends from there. Got it. So, so that took a uh, – do you want me to keep going on Yeah, that keep story? going on it. Um, so, yeah, after a couple of years of me going out to NRA um, in Chicago, it's like the biggest restaurant show there is. It's, it's ridiculous. It's phenomenal. Bring your walking shoes. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> That is like my – that, you know, everyone looks forward to vacation every year. I look forward to going to NRA every year. I've been really sad that it's not going on. Hopefully 2022. Is I think they're bringing it back, yeah. Um, so I'd go out there, and of course, he's designing restaurants out there with his family and stuff like that. So they'd take me around and introduce me to chefs and walk me through restaurant concepts. And me and him just, you know, clicked. And like I said, we started, I started coming up, you know, told him that, you know, my time's coming to start opening my own joint and, you know, throwing ideas off of him. And then he started bouncing ideas back. And then one day he proposed, hey, well, you know, what if what if I kind of come out and do this with you guys? And, uh, you know, after some talking and things like that, we became partners on that yeah. project. And I, I share a little bit of a Bobby story in the first episode we did in 421. Uh, we kind of we talked a lot about in that episode, just a lot of culture and what you guys are trying to be game changers. And a lot of your, yourself was in the brand and not being apologetic of being so authentically yourself that people call you out for trying too hard. There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of what came out yeah. in that conversation. Uh, I guess in, you were on the show in January of 2018. I know you guys opened not too soon before then, right? Yeah, I am so bad with history. I've always been bad it with It must have been two, 2017. Yeah, I, we cracked the doors in 2017 at Hopping yeah. Grind. Uh, w- and I think you opened your second location in 2019? Um, correct, yep. Okay, Yep. so take us through the evolution of Hopping Grind. Uh, and, and where you got to the point where you were ready for that second, third location? Or was, I know that there was maybe a third one. Maybe you're not allowed to talk about Two that. Two currently, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, same kind of thing. Um, my focus with Hop and Grind when we opened that was going back to what I just said is uh, I wanted to do for others what Paul had done for me. So it was important for me that, you know, I expressed to my staff, hey, I'm only going to grow this when you guys are ready to grow. And that was a open dialogue from day one at Hop and Grind. So I think that got a lot of people sparked and amped and ready for growth uh, right out the gate. So I think we all had that in mind that, hey, let's let's come out and crush it and go move on. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's really key right there. I'm only going to grow this when you guys are ready to grow. And that's so it. From day one, just like you did with Paul, like you, you let him know your intention was to grow. On day one with your employees, you let them know that your intention is to grow. Why is that so important to communicate that? Again, I think it goes to personal goals for people, and then it also brings them together for one team goal. You know, yeah. I think if you can get everyone on board to to launch another restaurant, I think that's exciting for everybody. I think you know a lot of people get sick of the day to days and you know running through the motions. I think they want to know what's next. You know what I mean? And some people don't. That's fine, too. Um, and we have plenty of employees that are just, you know, good where they're at. But I think if you don't allow that option, you're going to lose out on those that are in, interested in the, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think there's there's balance there and having opportunities for those that want to grow 
and have stability for those that are just fine where they are. Yeah, it's exciting to know that there could be opportunity too. You know, when when you're on the the team at the ground or the the floor level when something's just getting started and, and you know that there's there's possibility there that's exciting it makes you want to stick around it makes you want to show up differently so you can create opportunity for yourself um i think the other thing too this is the first time you've ever done counter service that was yeah. new for you what was the the reason for going with that in that direction i just saw the industry moving in that yeah. direction i knew fast casual was kind of hot at the time um but no one was really doing it at a i don't want to say quality value i we were looking for like an upper tier fast casual, you know, where you can get real, really good food really quickly. And you could also hang out and dine if you wanted to. So we were kind of we were kind of trying to bridge a gap between casual service and fast casual yeah. service. And, and I, for being on a college campus, we thought that was tremendously important. Absolutely. And I think that New Hampshire in general, the Northeast in general, surprisingly, is a ton of opportunity. 100%. Yeah. Why do you think that? I mean, I'm specifically... Specifically, I'm going with there's just not a lot of variation out here. I would agree 100%. <laughs> you go to any part of the country, and I've had the privilege of being able to travel and eat around the country. There's just a lot more creativity, a lot more diversity, a lot more ethnic, eth- ethnicity. And here, you, you kind of have like the same concepts with just new polishing on the outside. 100%. You know? So take that what i'm saying and kind of i, yeah, I, I know I mean, that you that's kind of that. that's kind of it's been a hard part for me business um, model too yeah. and, and everything's full service out here and i was wondering if that played into it yeah it, again it just goes to being fresh and different and wanting to do things that no one else is doing you know when we opened tuckaway I, I i went around and looked at beer lists around me specifically so that i did not pour one beer that was being poured around me i wanted to support those that weren't getting the love weren't getting the you know poured on draft every day you know I want to do things that other people are not doing. That's the only reason I look to the sides of me is to see what's what's not being done so that I can do it. You know what I mean? Um, but it's 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 tough out here because I feel like there's everyone's just looking what the other guy's doing and trying to copy and paste. Yeah. And we've run into that a lot here at Tuckaway. It puts a lot of pressure on me to continuously innovate because i don't want to be doing the same thing that everyone's doing yeah. so when people start ripping off what we're doing it's forcing me to think it's also even the harder best compliment right yeah it, <laughs> no it is and i don't mean to say i don't say that from like a cocky perspective it's just like it puts a lot more it puts a lot more work on our plate because we got to be constantly pushing the envelope you know as soon as i start seeing menu items that i have popping up everywhere else I gotta. It's time to freshen up the menu, you know. Yeah, what I mean? but uh, even operationally, I feel like because there's a lot of copy and paste in the Northeast, the same is true with business models. Yeah, where you were kind of at the leading edge of there weren't a lot of counter service, high, elevated counter service options in the Northeast. Yeah, I think you guys were one of the first ones to do that. You see a lot of that in Texas, where you get like some kind of like you know something to show what your order is. They come find your order, drop off the food, take the the table. What do they call it? table talker or like um. The yeah, order like a, number or whatever. You guys use the cartridges, the video game cartridges, yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is awesome. Um, but you were kind of one of the first concepts I saw really kind of leaning into that. I mean, operationally, what are the benefits of that? Um, I think it gets a team model going. That's the number one thing um, because it's not that's your section, that's my section, that's your customer, that's my everyone. Every customer is everyone in the building's customer, yeah. and everyone's got their eyes out for every single customer. Yep, uh, that's the biggest value added. Second value added is is convenience for the customer. Yeah, um, and I think those go hand in hand. The, you know, uh, giving the customer the opportunity again to 
be on the run and get really good food or sit and dine and, and crush it and have really good food as well, but with the service to match. And um, the model itself lends hands to both of that. You know, it it's not in your face with a server. It's kind of just a casual. It goes to the, yeah. to the name, casual. You yeah. know, uh, what can I get you guys? You know, how was everything? It's just more laid back. And I think we were missing that out here. And it's fewer... It, it's a lot lower labor expense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can you in that model you can run with maybe two or three people in the kitchen and like two or three people in the front of house. Right. Yep. Yep. I'm sure you probably have more on it when it's busier. But well, what we do is we take any extra. You know, so where we wouldn't instead of paying six servers, I give the three servers extra pay to like I pay a higher hourly yeah. because I'm expecting a little more out of you you know you might have to wash a dish you might yeah. have to go behind the bar and pour a beer it's again it goes to that team mentality so and I think the higher hourly is a little recognition of hey we expect a little more but I'm not scared to pay you a little more than what a typical server would yeah. get yeah I think this also started to come out a little bit in the first interview that you have flows you have like literally like and when, the way I interpreted that is the way people come in and out of the kitchen there's flows, so you so you walk a certain way, and there's things you're supposed to be checking constantly in all those flows. I thought that was genius, and I wanted to get more into that before. Yep. Uh, is, am I, did I make way more out of that than what it really was? Or no, was- I, I mean, there's of course there's flows and systems to any model, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the beauty of it is is that there's no defined flow. You know, the flow is is wherever the customers are and wherever is busiest. So, in other words, if if the drink counter is getting crushed right now, well, you know, and one team member is going down, the other team member knows that they need to swing over to drink and help out on that aspect. Or, you know, if we know the kitchen's getting crushed, front of the house, you know, one of the people from front of the house can swing back and start bagging up fries. The flow is to go wherever you're needed and to have the instinctuals to, or the instincts to to go where where it's needed at the time. It's it's a lot of improv. Um, so to, I guess that's confusing because, yes, there's flows, but at the same time, the flow but is it's not constantly like, changing. It's not like you're touching every item on that flow, but you're maybe just glancing, making a mental note, saying that's half full. In 30 minutes, I'm going to have to check that again. Uh, but, but I think it kind of reminds me because I have a background in commercial aviation, and we have checklists, but we also have flows. And the checklists are meant to back up our flows. Correct. Right? So when you're going through a dining room, there might be – you're walking out like – How's silverware looking good? Like you just there's like all these like little like is the bus bucket full? Is are the waters in the refrigerator like yep. empty? Like there's all these items that you just train people every time you walk into this part. Your eyes are going to these few places. Yep. And if you can develop those habits in people and back those habits up with checklists, it just becomes automatic, right? Correct. And yeah. I'm, I wasn't sure if you guys leveraged that so much, or I didn't know what the to the extent. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Of course, we have those checklists in place, and um, again, I just think it—it's probably not as cut and dry as you know, as maybe a corporate setting would yeah. be. Um, I think there's a lot more improv with our with our concept than okay. than may necessarily be true for a lot of other operators. I don't know. Got it. So I'm curious. After you won the guys' grocery games the first time, did that affect business? <sighs> It's so hard to gauge those kinds of things, especially with like Tuckaway. So Tuckaway, you know, everyone's we had diners, drive-ins, and dives here in 2016, and you know, everyone talks about how much it must have drove business. And of course, it what it does for us, I think, more so than drive initial business, is it creates longevity. 
And I've seen that with Hop and Grind because it's not like it airs and, you know, everyone that watched it last night's at your door. You're getting put on a list of, hey, I'm going to check that place out next time I'm in the area or we're going to hit that this weekend. We're going to hit that for your birthday. It's those kinds of things. So you're constantly having this new wave of people because, you know, they re-air and those kinds yeah. of things. So And it's the people that are your customers who are regulars who might just get reminded that it's been a while since we got in. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I, the biggest thing I would say from those shows is that we get is the longevity of it. And, um, you know, the people that put it on their list for later and, 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 and get here at some point. You know what I mean? Did it? affect business the second time around i mean we're still going so i would <laughs> <Yeah>. say <laughs> i would say it's so certainly when helping. did you win the second time was that uh, the following year the following so they do year. they were doing a diners drive-ins and dives tournament um for guys grocery games and it was their second year doing it i had just aired my episode of diners drive-ins and dives aired the weekend i was out shooting guys grocery games okay. so i was the rookie on the show no one even knew me out there all these <laughs> triple d chefs like knew each other kind of yeah and i hadn't even aired yet so they didn't know who the heck i was got it um so yeah i think by the time the second one aired i kind of got a little bit more of a reputation so i think that the second airing i always i kind of gained a following from the first and it just kind of yeah. it's been steamrolling since i mean where i'm going with this is like i think one thing i've recognized about you is you're very good about getting involved with either your local community or media opportunities are you gunning for those things are you are you actively pursuing and trying to create opportunity or people coming to you like what what advice do you have for us in order to create this opportunity I think it's all of I think it's all come naturally honestly it's I never chased down shows I applied for one show in my life um it was top chef way back in the day it was a pipe dream you know I was still at my last joint before tuckaway even and I did go out for the interview and stuff like that and you know the producer said I wasn't edgy enough so um you know that was my one shot and I forgot about TV but Another thing you might not know about Paul is he sees the future. So oh. everything that's happened here at Tuckaway, Paul has predicted. He predicted, you know, TV Diner back in the day, then Phantom Gourmet, and then he said, "Guy, Guy will be here." He said that straight <laughs> out. Uh, year, th- year three, I think he made that predict prediction, and two years later, Guy showed up. And uh, I, I give all the the. Um, you know the credit to guy i mean he he came out and shot triple d with me and immediately kind of just took me under his wing you know took me down to best buddies event the next day with tom brady uh just kind of as his guest and just i feel like guy gets a lot of uh flack from the industry sometimes i don't know if he deserves it because he does a lot of amazing things oh god no yeah he does amazing things he doesn't deserve any of it he's probably the realest guy on tv and i think that's what might what might be the hardest for people to digest is he's the realist. And I've met a lot through, you know, through just being associated. And I would say there's no one realer. I mean, what you see is what you get. And he does a lot more under the radar than is even promoted. So, yeah. And he's been hoisted to this really great influential space in life. And he uses it to do a lot of good stuff. Even during the COVID-19, he was out there, you know, like I know, I think you guys got involved with him too during that. Wasn't he doing like remote like cooking sessions? Yeah, or we did a couple shows. With what him was going? Him. What was the purpose of all that? I know to keep to keep his family going. Yeah, uh, you know, he calls us his triple D fam, and uh, he stands by that. You know, um, he wanted to keep. Not, I'm sure it's to keep his family rolling too. You know, yeah. don't get me wrong, but 
Um, I don't think he wanted to see the entire industry shut down. I mean, you know, he was pissed about the restaurants. He made that very clear. And I think he just refused to quit on anything. He wanted to just keep it, going. Keep it all going. You know what yep. I mean? So, uh, again, it goes to drive and um, really having that grinding mentality. And he's got that for, for sure. sure. I mean, yeah. he got super innovative and buckled in. And I think, if anything, out of this whole COVID thing, he earned tremendous respect from a lot of the guys that probably weren't giving it to him ahead of time. And uh, I think it's really shined a light on what he actually does. Yeah, I'm happy that that's happened for him because he, he's definitely earned it. 100%. Uh, and kind of back to you, because uh, I guess what I'm saying is like you're really good at self-promotion. It's getting involved with these TV shows. It's also getting involved with your communities. I know you guys do a ride that just recently happened here every year, right? To, yep. you, you have a cause. You have a why that you, you, you rally behind. Well, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that goes back to the opening days of uh, Tuckaway and how chaotic it was. It wasn't just chaotic because we were opening this monster of a restaurant, but um, my daughter was also fighting cancer right around the time we were opening, um, which which put tremendous strain. I, you, you, you talk about leadership and and trusting and walking away from something and being not being present. Uh, that was such a tough balance for me because here we are, you know, just launching this huge thing. Um, with obviously a great show of support and everything kind of I wanted career-wise is happening while my worst nightmare is happening at home. And to try to balance that whole thing was was what drove chaos. But, you know, both worlds collided with the community support. Um, because everyone loved what we were doing so much, the rally behind me and my family's fight was like, it's still to this day is beyond words can even describe you're still it. fighting too you're still very active you're still very outspoken about this this cause you're trying to you know uh it's, it's specifically to end childhood cancer is your, your goal right yeah 100 percent. so we we started you know we opened here in 2013 my daughter passed away in 2014 and we've just continued the energy the all the compassion and you know support that was given to us that day there were it was too much to just let go of like that's something that she created you yeah. know through through her you know what i mean so i just refuse to let that go as well and i think carrying on what has become a legacy for her is is so important to not only me but the community around yeah, us yeah and it's real and i think it's 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 so important that it has to be real but doing good is good business and when you are 100% about something behind something and it's authentic and it's an extension of who you are and you bring that to work with you and you, you can, and the, the byproduct is you're going to attract people onto yourself who want to rally around the same causes. You're going to build community around yourself. And it's not, that's not why you're doing it, but it's, it's a byproduct of, right. Right. And I, and I have to bring that to the table, the table. Cause I think that you are a good example of somebody who gets involved and who doesn't just get involved, but shares the story and brings people into the journey, into the, the mission. Um, how do you balance all that? That's a that's a really deep and interesting point you bring up because you know I struggle with that a lot is because you know I don't ever want that to be I don't want people to think the reason I do that is for attention or you know to bring any sort of you know spotlight to myself and I think that's what I struggled with at first is me promoting that was because it garnered so much attention. I started feeling like people were doing it for the wrong, you know, yeah. for the wrong reason. I can see that. And and might think I'm doing it for the wrong reason. So there was a point where I 
almost just gave up on it altogether because, you know, perfect example is a fam, a very close family member literally said that to my mother that we're only doing this for attention. And that really just hit home. Yeah. It hit, 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 hit us both really hard. Uh, my mom is like the backbone of our fundraising efforts. She's, she keeps everything going with our golf tournament, with our, we do a walk every year for Boston. Um, but I do that because my kid was such a competitor like me and I just know she would be striving to do the absolute best. I know she would because she did. I mean, you know, she had just gotten readmitted. Uh, you know, she relapsed around Christmas time and her first concern was how are we going to give, we, we had bought PlayStation fours, um, for everyone on the floor for Christmas. And, her concern was getting those playstations to the kids you know oh. what i mean so it was like i just want to i had to i had to ba- i i had to refocus and rethink about that what you're saying because yes it brings attention to us it brings attention to the business but i think it ultimately i just have to look past that and and hope that people know that it's it's simply to carry on what she was already yeah. doing. You and I hope you I mean? know that uh, the point I was trying to, to make is that when you have a higher purpose, when you, when, you, when you exist for other reasons just to show up for work and you can combine those purposes, uh, it almost always goes further. And it feels better to have something that's behind a, not just a paycheck, but like oh, a cause. Yes. You know? And who cares if you guys are getting attention? It, you're doing good. It feels good. Like it, it, you should, you know what I mean? It's a good thing. You yeah. Know? When you don't have that type of negative negativity around it, um, it's, it's the best feeling. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine doing well for myself and not spreading that, you know, spreading that around to others who may not have that success. You know what I mean? So it's, it's rewarding for me, uh, knowing that, you know, maybe just maybe what we're doing could, you know, I don't think we'll we'll cure cancer, but I certainly think we're getting progress while we're at it. You know, we've we've donated. Even if you save one kid's life, you know what I mean? Correct. Yeah. And that's that what makes it all worth it. You know, even if it gives a family another 30 days together, mm. that's worth it. You yeah. know what I mean? I If we can impact another family the way we were impacted by our community, then we're doing it right. Thank you for getting to that. I know it must not be easy to talk about, and I really appreciate it. I think the big lesson there is just the idea of, like, it has to be real. It has to be authentic. And uh, if, if you have a good cause and if you and you combined your, your, your work and your life's purpose, like, it, you almost always go further. Right? 100%. Yeah. Um, and it, when you give, you get. Right when you when you serve a community, it almost always comes back around. But you can't be with the intention to you know like to you yeah. Know. You got to find something that really genuinely means exactly. something. Yeah. And if uh, yeah, I think people can tell when it's real and when it's not. Yeah. So one other thing I was curious about, and I think we can learn a lot about this because there's a lot of partnerships that happen in the industry, and they don't always work out the way you had hoped. Uh, Bobby is no longer a, pot, a part of the uh, Hop and Grind team, right? Correct. Yeah. So when did he depart? Uh, he departed right before we opened Peabody, so probably early 2019, late 2018. So, Actually, no, it was, yeah, it was Christmas of 18. Yeah, so when I first talked to you guys, you were like still kind of in like honeymoon mode, where <laughs> you guys were like, we're going to take over the world together, this is going to be awesome, I was excited for you guys. Uh, what, what, started, what, what changed in that, that partnership? You know, I, I, I think dynamics of life is what changed. Um, you know, I was pretty upfront with what restaurant life is really like and nights and weekends and no time. And, you know, I think Bobby just needed a taste of it to realize that 
you know, maybe it's just not for him. Um, it's tough. It's, you know. He was working with restaurants up to this point. He had never. Correct. So he was designing and yeah, selling equipment and game. that kind of thing, which is a totally different aspect of yeah. managing and operating and dealing with, you know, people, which, um, you know, it's you either are in or you're out. You know, you can, I, don't, I don't think there can be a in between. You know, I kind of want to do this. I don't want to. You have to want to do this, especially starting a business. You know, never mind just jumping into a existing restaurant or something like that. I mean, you really got to dig your heels and be ready to work nonstop. I mean, like I said, me and Paul were in this war room six months, seven days a week, head down, just pounding it out. And even when we opened, we were here seven days a week for the first few years, you know. So it just takes a certain individual, a certain craziness. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he wanted to keep a clear head and. You know, he was building his family, you know, young kids at the time. And his family was still, were they out here? Or did yeah, they, no, they were here. Okay. Yeah, they all moved out. Yeah. I was going to say, that will definitely hurt if you're if you're away from your family for a long period of time, too. But it sounds like he was able to bring his, his family. Yeah, they were out here. Um, but I think it comes down to work-life balance for him. And, um, you know, maybe we expected a little more work side and family expected a little more life side. So... You know, we had a mutual separation. It was it could have gone a lot worse. You know, I'm, we're thankful that we. What were the things that you did to make it not go worse? Again, open open dialogue. You know, I think it just comes down to communication and him letting us know that he was questioning it, and then that just start had to start the the hard talks of all right, well, worst case, what's this look like? You know, and how are we all going to leave the situation feeling as though you know we were we're all fair. We're all equal, you know? Got it. Anything that you learned from that experience of having a partner, as far as the advice you can give other people, uh, whether it's finding a partner or whether it's how to break ties as amicably, amicably as possible. Uh, cause I mean, it's going to happen. I feel like it's going to happen, but we don't talk about these things right. because it's awkward. You know, it's awkward and, I don't know. We usually just, but it's whenever there's problems, it usually has something to do with a partner, and it's usually because there was poor communication. So, like, what advice do you have for people uh, who might be getting into a, a partnership? Like, what what do you wish you knew before entering your partnership? Actually, guy gave me the advice after I had entered the partnership, and he said, um, "Treat your partner like your wife yeah. at first, and you gotta you gotta go through dating." You got to go through the engagement. You got to go. You got to go through the proposal. Yeah. You got to go, and then you're ready to get married. If you can go through all those things, you know, he said, go on trips together. You know, hang out, spend as much time with this person to the point where you can't stand them, and see how that goes. And yeah. if you can get through it when you can't stand them, then they'll make a good partner. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I would just get to know your partners, and I don't say that about Bobby specifically because I did. You know, we knew each other. But I think that's what I learned from a, from him, from that and from Guy, is that you better be ready to be married for a, yeah. forever. And make your actual life partner, your spouse, make sure that they're okay with the fact oh, that 100%. you're now in a polyamory relationship. And you're sharing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, not literally, but yeah, you definitely get permission first. <laughs> yeah, that, get permission because <laughs> uh, it's tough. I mean, and I think that like that's that work life balance. Like every when you're in, everyone's in. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a family commitment. Um, awesome advice. Uh, so where are we today? I mean, how has, like, I don't want to talk a lot about COVID. We have to start wrapping up the conversation a little bit, but it's looking to the future. Um, did you evolve during COVID? Are you doing things differently now because of COVID? And what is the future of all of your, your grinds? Well, for Tuckaway, I mean, take a look around this room. This used to be our function room. Uh, it's now our shipping facility. Um, 
again, I go back to Paul being a future predictor, but yeah. he, three years ago, uh, two years before COVID, saw this online shipping picking up, and he decided, hey, let's put an infrastructure in place. Even if it doesn't go anywhere, let's just start throwing some boxes out there and see what happens. And slowly we were growing this shipping business, and as soon as COVID hits, I mean, it's that's probably the greatest the framework growth. was in place. The infrastructure was already here, and we just took off. I mean, it it, it completely replaced our, our restaurant um, in a matter of days. So, what was that? What did that look like? What were you offering? Um, ha- you know, we had a handful of selections of our fresh ship meat, uh, fresh meats that we ship direct to your door, and uh, part of that was free shipping to New England. You know, to make sure we're hitting our home base. And then um, just making it available to everyone across the country, you know. So you're focusing mostly on what's on what's in the butchery, yes. The butchery, or are you also focusing what's on the menu? So we were just doing butchery uh, to start, and then Guy called me up, or his team called me up, and asked me to do the triple D takeout um, edition, where yeah. I shipped a burger kit from Hop and Grind. Uh, to him where he built it at his house so then i started doing burger kits out of hop and grind so we have the fresh meats coming out of tuck i've got burgers you know pre-made burgers and burger kits that i do out of hop and grind so we have both to answer that question any lessons learned the hard way when it comes to getting involved mail order it's very we do it the hard way uh because it's fresh never frozen so it's got to be next day um which adds tremendous costs yeah and i think the hardest part is is being affordable and not, you know, kind of staying in that sweet spot. Are you not forwarding that cost on to the, the customer? We do uh, to an extent. Yeah. It's not the full cost. So we eat some of that knowing that, you know, not everyone wants to pay $50 for a next day product. But yeah. once they try it, we feel they'll see the value in that because, you know, you try any of our stuff fresh as opposed to every other state company out there that's shipping frozen product. You get it. You defrost it. It's deteriorated by that point you know so i think it's just trying to get that initial purchase and then from there we i would say 70 percent are repeat customers yeah and i think i'm going to skip the speed round today because i'd rather just totally free flow conversate with you because i already had you go through the speed round (laughs) Uh, so we're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about um some other things that have come as a byproduct of your evolution or just some of the things you've evolved into so we'll be right back (laughs) Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now I've told you what's new with play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies with bill pay. You can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill. And this is all happening online. So no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check ACH 
or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to. No more duplications of efforts and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And um, like I said, we're not going to be doing a speed round today because i rather just kind of focus on... Uh, I want to make sure we're focusing on some of the evolution of Hop and Grind. You also launched... Uh, rise and grind, which we haven't talked about. So take us through the upper, how that opportunity is, and it's attached to the same building. Correct. And I love seeing that. So get into it. I have had my eyes on that location before Hop and Grind. So uh, where it's set up, it's two end caps of a building, and I originally wanted the end cap where Rise and Grind is yeah. now located because it's the street side. Yeah. It's got a better scaping, um, you know, nice patio area. So. When we first looked at those two boxes, um, I, wa- I initially wanted the other end cap, but it had just gone under contract. Oh. So I was on the wait list for that. But again, I love my hop and grind location just as much. Um, and same thing when I stepped foot, I just loved it. That was my preferred spot. So 
it was another victim of COVID. A uh, coffee shop that was there kind of went under. And uh, I heard through the grapevine that's what happened. So I reached out to the landlord, said, hey, what's going on with that space? They said, uh, we're really not sure. We might do like a lounge for our residents. Or if anyone's going to do anything, we want you to do it. Which yes. was such a compliment um, yeah. coming from them. Uh, I think I had a lot of proving for them being my first business with Hop and Grind. So... I think they've seen what I did with that space and they just kind of left it on my lap. And I, there was no way I wasn't going to take a gamble. I didn't want to take a huge gamble because we were still in the midst of COVID. So yeah. I asked them, Hey, can you give me a one year shot at it? Let me see what I can do with it. And they were able to, they, well, they, they made that happen for me. So, so. What's, what's been your approach with this? With the coffee shop? Yeah. To make sure this one year goes really well. Uh, it's my same approach with any concept. I want it to be, different i want it to be unique uh what's yeah there's tons of coffee shops in town i mean it's a college town so i think there's already uh, five other coffee shops so what can i do to really be different and i sorry go ahead so what i did was um i had i've always remained in touch with a uh a unh graduate he started noble coffee back in the day um he was one of the first ones to introduce this cold he brew thing on tap. Brew, yep. Yeah, he he was just a young entrepreneur at UNH, had graduated not long after we opened Tuckaway, and he stopped in here wanting to push his stuff, and it really didn't make sense for Tuckaway at the time, but we kind of just always crossed paths mm-hmm. and stayed in touch. So as soon as I thought of a coffee shop, I thought of him because he had just released this really cool, uh, you know, invention, I'll say, where he's doing hot coffee on tap. So I wanted to take coffee bar and literally take that as literal as possible. So all of my coffee is on draft. So, I, you know, when I called him up, he's like, oh, you want to do like what one flavor? I was like, no, I want to support local roasters like I do local brewers at Hop and Grind. Love it. So I'm going to put multiple roasters on tap. We've got a lot of past guests. I Hot think. and cold. Yeah. So uh, I can't think of the, the one up in Portland. Um, uh, coffee no, by design no, is what yes, I'm thinking about. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then, did, you, did I see Tandem on there as well? Not yet. Okay. They are on the lineup, though. Yeah, gotcha. we'll be we'll be doing some stuff with them. But I love what you're sharing now. Is you're not making it about you. You're making it about everybody else. What happens when you do that? It continues to grow that network. That you know, um, supporting others, they're going to support you in return, and it becomes partnership. I, I say yeah. it to like. So many people that I first, you know, if people want to step foot and tuck away or hop and just sell me stuff, you know, my first question is like, what are you, what do you have for partnerships? You know, um, what do you, what do you, what's your long-term goal with this partnership? And if they can't answer those questions or, you know, if they, or I ask them, have you tried a burger here? Like, never mind what you're pushing here. Like, have you walked around my building yet? Do you even know who I am? Yeah. Like, are you just here to pump a product or are you here to collaborate and, and this feels exactly how I feel about my sponsors right now and the direction I'm trying to go with my, my sponsors with having long-term relationships. It's important. It's yeah. very important to me. It started here with the taps on, you know, I, I came out fully committed that I was not, never going to tap shit like a no Budweiser, no Bud Light. And I had these distributors in here telling us we're crazy. They try to pull Paul in the other room and tell him you got to have this stuff on tap. And it goes back to trust. He always stuck by me on that. And every brewer that I started here with, you know, it was a partnership. It was yeah. like, I want to, I want to highlight you guys, you yeah. know? And so with rise and grind, you have the coffee partnerships. You also partner with, uh, the, the donut shop. Yep. So you're pushing their donuts. Yep. What are the other partnerships you have? Uh, rise and grind specifically would be, yeah, just 
the different roasters. Uh, Noble has a line of cocktails where they work with all these local distributors, you know, local products, I'll say, is it, kombucha, uh, juices, um, those kinds of things. Uh, but from the rest of the food stuff, I have to make in-house. You know, I'm yeah. partnering with... So I, I've got another side project called Grindhouse Meat Company. Okay, I was curious. I think I saw a reference to that maybe. Yeah, so that's kind of our like commissary where um, Grindhouse Meats will eventually support my brands, and you know we'll have one kitchen that kind of pumps out these products. So I would say I I'm partnered with Grindhouse Meat Company at Rise and Grind because we're making our own spam, we're making our own sausages, nice. and you know doing stuff out of out of house that. I don't want to depend on others for. Yeah, and your own uh, cream cheese too, right? But that's oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I feel like that's probably just mixing cream cheese and other ingredients. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and with some scratch ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Anything we have not discussed that you think you should discuss because you're you have a unique ability or experience to bring to the table? Um, no, not really. I would you know just want to, of course shout out St. Jude's. Um, goes back to my charity uh, of choice you know we wound up there as a family as our last our last choice uh, not last choice um our last opportunity uh for my daughter um and they really gave us a little more time than what other doctors were telling us we would have had so that's become my charity of choice um i highly recommend supporting them um use a, a fundraiser you're doing right now as a matter of fact always yeah, yeah every year so we do a walk every year and we do events leading up to the walk so we just did a motorcycle ride that's our seventh year we've done that and we have our golf tournament coming up on september 3rd uh this is our fifth year doing that and then we do the actual walk um september 17th i believe it is this year uh, where we'll donate everything that we've earned along the way. Um, and then Best Buddies is another one I've, I've, I'm heavily involved in now, um, supporting my my champion this year, Ian uh, Schreiner, who's been a campaign manager the last two years and has won as campaign manager. So this year he's actually becoming a champion himself and ha- has hired me as his campaign manager, so to speak. So another great organization. I've um, seen you guys do a couple of videos live, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I love what you guys dude. are doing. You guys really. have fun with everything you do. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It was great to reconnect with you and to share what you got going on, to spread word about your, your fundraiser, and just to kind of to catch up, man. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's somebody you respect and admire uh, that you think I need to get as a guest mentor on the show? So I'm going to call out Carol Lawrence Erickson. She was actually here eating lunch when you got here today. Uh, it was just destiny. Point. <laughs> yeah, it's destiny that she was here because uh, I was thinking about who I'm going to call out, but she's perfect. Um, you know, she's she won Entrepreneur of the Year a couple years ago for what she's done with her Red Arrow brand. Um, she just launched a sewing company. She's just a such an entrepreneurial spirit that uh, she's definitely worth talking to for sure. Uh, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and hopefully you're still in the diary. I, 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 might I hope you guys can meet. Yeah. Uh, but and how can we connect if we want to continue the conversation? Maybe we want to come work with you. Oh, that, that'd be great. Uh, at Chef Bobby Marcotte on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Tuckaway has got its own page. Uh, the Tuckaway on Instagram. Um, Hop and Grind. Rise and Grind. And then I guess I should mention that we get two new projects in the works that will will be uh, popping up here in Portsmouth and Derry. I almost forgot to That's m- right. mention that. Um, are they more rise and grinds? 
Uh, Portsmouth is a very hush-hush project right now. It's a brand new concept, uh, brand new cuisine that I have not introduced to the world yet. It's not calzones, is it? Uh, no, okay. no, unfortunately Good. not. That might, I mean, that might be on the horizon. Well, let me know. We can partner. <laughs> oh, really? That's my dream. I've always wanted to do like an artisanal calzone shop. Ooh, can we and make it handheld size? Because I've always wanted to do hot there's gonna be There's going to be... Um, like large, small, and then individual, which is going to be like a hot pocket stromboli. I want in on that. Let's do it. I want in on that. You heard it first. You heard it first. Let's do it. All right. (laughs) Uh, So I lost track. Uh, Portsmouth is a hush project. I'm really not mentioning that too much right now, but we just bought a beautiful old gas station. I love that uh, spot. On Islington Street. We got some, the design's going to be knockout gorgeous. Um, Really cool outdoor patio space that we're going to work on and uh, Derry is going to be a brand new butcher shop um, uh, where we'll be focusing on some wholesale retail stuff. Uh, we'll have a full USDA kitchen, beautiful, and start working on an, another avenue of um, you know of sales that we haven't really touched base on. Bobby, I couldn't be more excited for you, man. So many cool things happening in your life. You've earned every opportunity, and there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. Jim. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up a restaurant unstoppable in the archive. Thank you so much, Bobby and Marcotte for making time for us a second time to come back on the show, pick up the conversation. And uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, man. Uh, super psyched for the growth you've experienced and what you're doing. It's going to be fun to continue to watch you. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. So tons of things happening over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network this week. Hopefully you're listening to today's episode bright and early. Maybe you're you're listening to us on your morning walk or your morning exercise routine or you're driving to work because you might be able to join us for a bunch of workshops we got going on this week, uh, early in the week, Monday and Tuesday. Today, as you're listening to this, again, hopefully you're listening to this early, we have uh, a, a book club. So I don't know if you're familiar, but the Restaurant Unstoppable Network has a book club. And the first book that we chose to focus on is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And this book, I think we actually have like a text thread going on in the network right now where every day we check in to see if we're accomplishing our morning routine, our morning habits, our, our series of habits. And it's been been so powerful for me to like really hold me accountable uh and if you're interested in being a part of that book club come hang out in the network uh, and we're gonna be i think we're talking about systems and processes next there's also some talk about diving into peter diamandis's books uh abundance bold in the future is faster than you think so you can get that futurist mindset um be prepared for what's coming down the pipe in the future also we have peer mentoring with sanjeev rosden uh that episode that recording will be at 12 p.m monday today when you're listening to this uh if you really enjoyed sanjeev's sanjeev's episode and you want to come hang out and ask your questions and get some uh peer advice and peer mentoring directly from sanjeev come hang out today at noon and Later, even later into the, this is a busy day. I'm telling you, we have a workshop. Ken McGeary, past guest Ken McGeary, is coming on the show to talk about preparing first time managers, how to make that transi- that transition for first time managers. There's a lot of things that you need to be mindful of as a first time manager. We're going to cover those things tomorrow, Tuesday. We have Carrie Luxem from Carrie Luxem HR coming to talk to us about the employee termination process. Lots of cool things happening in the network. I want you to be a part of it. Head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com and be a part of the conversation. Until next time, peace 
out.